You're listening to The Lunar Body, a podcast for feminist menstruators who want to manage their health naturally and supernaturally through nutrition, herbalism, and intuitive expansion using science and the moon as your guides. Hello and welcome to The Lunar Body. I'm your host, Kristen Ciccolini, period priestess, nutritionist, and the founder of Good Witch Kitchen. Today we're talking about period poverty and menstrual equity, and it's going to be a doozy, so we're just going to jump right in. Think about when you get your period. If you're tracking your cycle with the fertility awareness method, maybe you start your day by taking your temperature, and you see the temperature shift back downward to let you know that it's coming soon. Then you get your period. If you're lucky, you find out by wiping after you go to the bathroom. But if not, you might find out by the stain on your underwear. Or worse, it's gone through to your clothes. Then you contain it somehow. Pad, tampon, menstrual cup, menstrual disc, period, underwear. We're lucky to have lots of options. And then you manage it. You use several pads or liners or tampons. You have multiple pairs of period underwear. You have a safe place to wash out your cup or your disc. If you have cramping, maybe you take your herbs or a pain reliever. If you're fatigued, you take a nap. If you're craving some food, you go and eat that food. Despite menstruation being a natural part of life that we can't control, every sentence that I just said carries some privilege with it. Simply being able to menstruate can be a privilege in itself because it's an indicator of your overall health. There's privilege in being able to track your basal body temperature, which is what I mentioned in the beginning, having the knowledge about the fertility awareness method, being able to wash the clothes that you might bleed on and in a timely manner, having a change of clothes if you happen to ruin something by leaking onto it, being able to afford menstrual products, an adequate amount of them, and good quality products. Even the volume of your flow can be a privilege if you can afford to contain it. Also, it's a privilege to have a safe place to clean yourself and your products, and a privilege to not have any PMS symptoms or period pain, a privilege to respond to your symptoms with a remedy, having money for pain relievers, having time for a nap if you're tired, having access to food to satisfy your cravings, These are all things that we take for granted for the most part. According to the ACLU, on any given day, there are 800 million people on the planet who are menstruating, of whom at least 500 million lack adequate resources for managing their periods. Resources being basic supplies, facilities, information, and support. 22 million of those menstruators live in the U.S. in poverty. In America, the government offers very little in the way of support. Obviously, we have learned that in general with the pandemic, but in particular for menstruation, the government does not really help us out. While countries like Japan, Indonesia, South Korea, Taiwan, and Zambia have laws entitling employees to menstrual leave if needed, here we are far, far behind. Very few companies offer such a benefit. In fact, in a study of working women who menstruate, 82% of those whose period pain impacts their job said their employer makes no accommodation for them. In America, period poverty and menstrual equity are serious issues that essentially determine a person's ability to go to work and to go to school. Menstrual equity is 
a human rights issue. It's an issue of dignity. And it's both simple and complex. Simple in that everyone deserves access to safe products and to be able to safely care for their bodies. And complex in that there are just so many layers to it all. For instance, homelessness is already a major systemic issue that we do a terrible job of handling in this country. But as a result, it creates more problems specifically for people who menstruate. There's the issue of access. Period products are pretty expensive, especially the reusable ones. They might be cost-efficient over time, but not everyone has the privilege of being able to afford the high upfront cost of $30 underwear or a $30 menstrual cup that you're not even sure is going to fit your body. And disposable products are expensive too. I'm not telling you anything new, but it becomes even more so if someone is dealing with a heavy flow and they need more tampons or pads throughout their period. Unhoused people who don't have access to menstrual products report that they end up using rolled up toilet paper, old rags, paper towels, newspapers, um, or they bleed onto their clothes. And if they do access tampons, for instance, they may try to extend their use and end up leaving it in for too long, which can cause infections that lead them more susceptible to toxic shock syndrome, which if left untreated may cause the person to need a hysterectomy. So these infections can cause a lot of problems. They can cause pregnancy issues and susceptibility to sexually transmitted infections and HPV, which can lead to cervical cancer. So there's a safety issue here as well, not just in terms of health, but also physical security, not just for menstruating women, but for trans men as well, who also may experience being unhoused. Their safety can be at risk if they're outed by leaking onto their clothing or using tampons in a men's bathroom, for instance. They may be turned away for menstrual products at shelters if the shelters even have them on hand. And that's another layer to it. So this is getting more and more complex, right? Many shelters don't have pads or tampons to offer. They are often one of the most requested and least donated items. And if you do want to donate, consider donating both or prioritizing pads, because it's also common for people in these situations to have experienced sexual trauma and prefer to use pads instead of inserting tampons. Just something to keep in mind. Being unhoused is not the only barrier to accessing menstrual products, of course. For many people, it's the cost alone, having to choose between putting food on the table and buying pads, or choosing between being able to make rent and keep their family safe, and getting the higher quality tampons with the plastic applicators that don't scratch your insides like the cardboard ones do. Unfortunately, public health benefits don't include menstrual hygiene products because for some reason, menstruation is not considered important enough to file under public health. So programs like SNAP, which is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise known as food stamps, it does not apply to menstrual products, nor does WIC, which is the Program for Women, Infants, and Children. In fact, it's actually illegal to accept food stamps for tampons, and if you do this as a retailer, you could be prosecuted. Without access, people may resort to shoplifting, which can, of course, bring on legal trouble, and the carceral system is no better in this area. Not just, not just to dump on you guys with all this terrible info, but this isn't talked about nearly as much as it should be. So I really just want to put all this information together for you to get a picture of what the state of menstrual equity is like in this country. Now, I mentioned the carceral system. The Department of Justice made it a policy in 2017 to provide period products to incarcerated individuals for free, but it only applies on the federal level, 
and there may be abuse involved as well, which I'll touch on in a minute. But many prisons and jails don't provide any menstrual products or they don't provide adequate products, meaning they don't offer the right amount. So again, an inmate might try and stretch the length of time that they can use a tampon, for instance, and end up with a serious infection. Or maybe the quality of products they receive is poor, low quality pads without adhesive, for example. That's something that they may only have access to. For the institutions that don't provide pads and tampons, inmates have to use their commissary funds. And this is not my area of expertise at all, so I'm going to read directly from the ACLU report, which I will link to in the show notes. They say, prisoners who work in prison jobs earn less than $3.50 per day on average, and often money that they earn is put towards court fees and other costs. Because commissary items in prisons are purchased through outside vendors that often have monopolies on the products they sell, those products may be marked up significantly, making them even more out of reach for indigent prisoners. For example, a box of tampons in a Colorado prison can cost two weeks' wages. Other states charge similarly high prices, and prisoners may therefore be forced to spend multiple days' wages on products every single month. Incarcerated people around the country often must make an impossible choice between accessing medical care, buying menstrual products, and speaking to their families or their attorneys on the phone. As just one example, Florida prisoners earn on average much less than 50 cents per hour, but have to pay over $4 for four tampons, $2.10 for a 15-minute phone call, and $5 for a medical visit. So the picture we're painting here is pretty bleak, and it's, it's dehumanizing to have to face these decisions, to have to face the abuse of people who work in the prison system too. If you read through the report, there's a discussion about inmates being forced to trade sex for menstrual products. And this is a choice by our government. This is a choice to make people with periods suffer, to create inaccessibility on multiple levels. In the carceral system, for unhoused people, for menstruators in general, it's a choice as well by our government to tax these products the way they do. 33 states in the U.S. tax menstrual products, but they don't tax other things that are considered necessities like food and shampoo and conditioner. And it's interesting because pads and tampons are classified as medical devices by the FDA, but the IRS sees it differently and deems them general health products, which also means that you can't use your FSA dollars on them. If you don't know what an FSA is, it's a flexible spending account through your health insurance that you put a certain amount of money into, and that pays for co-pays, deductibles, medications, and other out-of-pocket healthcare expenses. You don't have to pay taxes on the money that's in this account. So again, menstrual hygiene products are not eligible for this. And this is what you may have heard called the tampon tax. And the tax persists even despite public urging from the American Medical Association to reclassify pads and tampons as medical necessities. There are, however, organizations working towards a change and introducing bills that would make things more accessible. In 2016, New York became the first state to enact legislation for menstrual equity, mandating that menstrual hygiene products be provided in public schools, shelters, and prisons for free, in large part thanks to Jennifer Weiss-Wolf, who is the founder of Period Equity and the former vice president of the Brennan Center for Justice at the NYU School of Law. She also coined the phrase menstrual equity. There's some trivia for you. The basis of all of this, the reason why our government and our society doesn't see menstruation as worthy of support in the public health arena, it's stigma. I've talked about this in other episodes, but we're taught to see menstruation as shameful 
and dirty. We're taught not to talk about it like it's some secret. And that's part of the reason why I talk about it all the time. I want to normalize the conversation. And I recognize that it is a privilege to be able to do the work that I talk about, to be able to safely endure the menstrual phase, let alone do anything related to cycle syncing. But the stigma is strong, and it's another complex issue with many layers. Last season, I shared a bonus episode, The Patriarchy Versus Your Body, and this is a recording of a workshop that I taught. I talked about how there's sort of a trickle-down stigma that happens. We get the patriarchal view of what's important from the scientific community, where men determine what's worthy of study and funding, where women are often left out of the research, or the studies are not designed in a way that's helpful for parsing out the impact on women. And the COVID vaccine is the perfect example. We had all of these people being studied with a great opportunity to see in real time the impact that this would have, and menstrual side effects were left out of the research, not considered important enough to include. And many of us experienced changes in our cycle around the time that we got the vaccine. For more on this, I recommend going back to episode 15, where I discuss this more in depth. There are now a couple of active studies to retroactively look at how the vaccine affected menstruation, but the fact that these side effects weren't considered important enough to share in the first place is a big part of the problem. So we have science working against us on some levels, and that research informs the academic institutions where your doctors learn. The medical community then learns to perpetuate implicit bias against people with periods who complain. And yes, of course, hashtag not all doctors, whatever, but I'm trying to lay out the systemic problem here. That research also informs the curriculum in schools too. When you're younger, you don't typically learn a whole lot about your body or spend much time on menstruation in your biology class. I know we definitely did not. And good luck if you experience menstruation while you're in biology class. I'm sure most of us have a story of getting your period at school. I personally bled all over the blue plastic chair in my history class and had to hide and whisper, calling my mom on my black brick of a Nokia phone after class to come get me. I know I'm not the only one with a story like that. And speaking of teenagers, in a survey commissioned by Thinks and Period.org, 80% of teens feel that there's a negative connotation associated with periods, that they're gross or unsanitary. So it starts young, my friends, and it doesn't help that schools don't typically provide menstrual products to students, despite being unaffordable to 20% of them. Those who can't afford them either have the same issues I mentioned before of ruining their clothes, which can lead to social stigma and isolation because teenagers are mean as hell or they stretch out the items they do have and end up negatively affecting their health, or they go down to the nurse's office and ask for a pad or tampon, if they're lucky enough to have the nurse's office stocked with them. But that takes time out of their day, out of their learning. So there's the issue of menstrual inequity impacting educational opportunities too. Even more so if a student's period is so bad that they have to stay home and miss school. Even missing just a few days of school can lead to significant performance gaps that are exacerbated by poverty and racism. So, what are we to do about all of this bullshit? A friend once shared with me a conversation that she had with another person. That person was pretty much doing what I'm doing now, talking about how we should all have access to period products, pads and tampons should be free, they should be considered as important as toilet paper, and so on. And my friend raised the question, why are you fighting for access to toxic products? 
And she's not wrong, you know? Tampons can contain potentially harmful chemicals, including pesticide residues, because the cotton they're made with is one of the most heavily sprayed crops in the world. And to regulate the safety, the FDA requires manufacturers to submit their own data, which is like your teacher telling you to write your own report card, basically. You know, you might be truthful, or you might sweeten it up a little bit. So companies also aren't required to tell you what's in their products either, and we are inserting them into an area that's highly absorbent. And this is a whole other episode where I could talk about this, but back to her original question, why fight for access when access isn't necessarily safe? Hey there, I'm pausing the show real quick to tell you about a menstrual cup that I recently found. I know I often talk about accessibility of period products and how reusable products can be wildly out of reach for some people. Menstrual cups in particular can be really hard to purchase because they might not fit your body the right way, you might not like the shape, you might hate the whole experience, which was me up until recently. For me, I tried a few different kinds and the problems that I had with them were that they wouldn't open up fully inside of me, so I had squished silicone just sitting in my vaginal canal, not helping me out at all. And also the flat stem at the bottom that you're supposed to use to pull it out, that didn't work for me. So I would be squatting in the shower in tears with my fingers desperately grabbing at that slippery little tab, wondering if I was just going to have to live that way for the rest of my life. But then I found Viv for your V. They're a small Boston-based sustainable period care brand that makes the Viv cup. It's made with 100% medical grade silicone, so it's safe to share with your innermost self. It's soft and flexible. It's black, so you don't have to worry about discoloration over time. And the best part, instead of the stem that I hate, it has a ring at the bottom so you can hook your finger in for easy removal. That changed everything for me, and people ask me, all the time about menstrual cups and which one I like best. I never had an answer for them until now. The Viv Cup is what I use regularly now, and it's more affordable than many other options out there at $20. And they have sales from time to time too. Around Christmas, it was only $10. So keep an eye out for that. Or if you feel so inclined, you can use my code and get 15% off now. Use code GOODWITCH15 at vivforyourv.com. We can't necessarily tackle such large systemic issues on an individual level. Like, it's not up to me personally whether the issue of access gets solved before safety. I do think that access is more of an immediate need than the chemical exposure, since the latter depends on the cumulative effect. But it is a really good question, and I think that we can fight for both things and support organizations that are working towards achieving menstrual equity and making period products more accessible. And also those that are fighting for better regulations around those period products. There is period equity, which I mentioned earlier. They're a legal organization working to end the discriminatory tampon tax. They also focus on access and product safety as well. Jennifer Weiswolf, the founder, wrote a book called Periods Gone Public, which I will be adding to my list. And it explores how periods have become a prominent political cause. There's Code Red Collective. It's a nonprofit working towards dismantling inaccessibility and lack of intersectionality when it comes to period wellness and the community problems surrounding it, such as systemic racism, period poverty, mass incarceration, school-to-prison pipeline, transphobia, police brutality, and economic exploitation. They are currently trying to make Code Red a cooperative, and I'll share the GoFundMe for that in the show notes. 
If you are in mass like me, there's the Massachusetts Menstrual Equity Coalition, which is currently working to pass the I Am Bill that they co-wrote. And this is the act to increase access to disposable menstrual products in prisons, homeless shelters, and public schools from 6th to 12th grade without stigmatizing the individual seeking them. If you're in Massachusetts, you can write to your legislators asking them to champion the bill. Then we have Women's Voices on Earth. This is an organization that advocates for campaigns to increase corporate accountability and transparency, enact health protective laws, and take steps to reduce toxic exposure in their lives, including the chemicals present in menstrual products. They recently supported the Menstrual Products Right to Know Act that would require companies selling tampons, pads, and menstrual cups to list the ingredients on their packaging. So those are a few organizations to support. Though, while I was researching, I did find a lot of small nonprofits that serve local communities, so check your area if you would like to support locally. There's likely something nearby. Also, according to that Women's Voices organization, there are currently more than 140 bills in 37 states, including eight bills introduced on the federal level to advance menstrual equity by requiring free access to period products, eliminating tax, and requiring ingredient disclosure. I will link to the blog post in the show notes where you can take a look at what's happening around you, and you can reach out to your legislators asking them to support the initiatives in your state. Because like I said, we may not be able to solve these things individually, but you can individually call up your senators and email your representatives. That's how you can get involved on the policy side of things. Ask them to support legislation that makes menstrual products available in schools, in shelters, prisons, libraries, other public community spaces. Ask them to support legislation that calls for removing the tampon tax. Ask them to call for companies to be more transparent about their ingredients and their manufacturing processes, to create more sustainable products, to help create less waste on disposable tampons and pads. Ask them to figure out how to get reusable products subsidized. We could help so many people if period underwear and silicone cups and discs were more widely accessible. After you're done cyberbullying your local politicians on Twitter, think about the change you can enact in your own world. Can you donate any products to a shelter? Did you get an IUD and now you have a bunch of tampons lying around? Call up your local shelter and see if they're accepting those products. Sometimes I will use my referral credit that I get on Thinks to give someone a free pair of period underwear. By the way, if you want to help me get that credit, you can get $10 off your order with my link. You can go to goodwitchkitchen.net slash thinks, T-H-I-N-X. If you're in a leadership position at work, or even if you're not and you want to band together with coworkers, can you call for menstrual hygiene products to be available in the bathrooms? Can you call for them to be available in both men's and women's bathrooms if you have gendered facilities? Can you implement or ask your employer to implement a paid menstrual leave policy? If you like to push buttons, talk about your period more. Normalize it amongst your friends and your family. If you don't like to push buttons and you're weird about period talk, examine that. Challenge yourself on it. Why do you feel that way? What feelings come up when you think about it? Where did you learn to feel those feelings? Think about how stigma shows up in your life. Think about the products you use. If menstrual cups gross you out, why is that? Does the thought of getting your own blood on your fingers make you want to gag? Why is that? Does the idea of using an OB tampon instead of a plastic applicator disgust you? Why is that? I would love if you listened to this with all your friends and paused this and you all had a conversation about those questions. Answer those questions with each other. Use this as a little study group. 
I would literally die of happiness if someone did that. Please do it. Just challenge the stigma in your own life. Tell your dad about your blood clots or maybe don't, but <laughs> you know, challenge it, push buttons, talk about it more, or maybe just don't hide your tampon in your sleeve on the way to the bathroom. You know, we all need to start somewhere. I hope this episode gave you a lot to think about, and I hope I also gave you enough to take action with. I find that a lot of content is all doom and gloom lately, more so on TikTok where there's no room for nuance and people make quick videos that are like, here are all the things that are wrong with you and no time to tell you what to do about it. (laughs) And you're left in a crying heap in the corner, clinging to your phone while it autoplays the same video over and over and over. Yes, I'm familiar with that experience. I don't want to do that to you. I want you to feel empowered and supported on this road to menstrual equity. And I hope that we can work together to achieve it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I love, love, love hearing from you. So please send me your thoughts. Have a lovely week, my friends. Thank you for listening to The Lunar Body. This one woman production is listener supported. And if you'd like to support the show, you can check out the podcast perks in the show notes. Visit my virtual tip jar at goodwitchkitchen.net slash tip. Or you can subscribe and leave a rating or review in iTunes so other lovely lunar feminists like you find my show. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email me at thelunarbody at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at goodwitchkitchen. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you.